We'll go ahead and turn your Bibles to Genesis chapter 12 as we're looking this evening at the life of Abram. And we know him better as Abraham, but we're calling him in this passage, he's called Abram. He is the descendant of Noah through Shem. And God called Abram from the city of the Ur of the, the Chaldees to go to the land of Canaan, which later is called the Promised Land. And we, we're going to see that call tonight. We're going to see a big change in the way that God deals with mankind. Up to this point, God has dealt with the human race as a whole. But now he's going to deal with one man and through this one man, a people group, which we call the Jews. And, of course, God, God specifically deals with Abraham or Abram and his promise to the descendants. This evening, the key event really is a covenant that God makes with Abram. And there are really three questions as we think about it. What was this covenant? which was the promise. The second one, was the covenant conditional or unconditional? And then the third thing is, how does this covenant affect the rest of the Bible? So that's three things we look at as we go through, as we think about the passage. We want to understand this great event is as how God deals uh, with Abram and uh, puts all these things together, and we'll see it as we study. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, what a great night. Thank you, Lord, for the privilege we have of studying your word and coming together. And, Lord, thank you for Jesus, our Savior. We ask you, Lord, that as we study tonight, that you'd teach us, that we'd be able to put it together and grow in the grace and knowledge of our Savior, Jesus Christ. Uh, Lord, thank you for uh, the privilege of coming together with fellow believers. Help us, Lord, as we think about the covenant and we think about uh, Abram and uh, these promises. We ask all of this in Jesus' name. Amen. Is this, is this on? It is? Okay. Can you turn it up just a touch? Thanks. <clears throat> you ever had to move? I mean, you ever had to go to a place that you didn't even know where you're going or anyone? Sometimes college, you know, I talk to a lot of college students, and a lot of times you get to May, and, and they're graduating, and they're looking for jobs, or they've got jobs, and they're going to be leaving, and they and I say, where are you going to go in? They stay there. I say, well, you know anybody there? And they go, no, not really. And they're leaving their homes and their roommates and their friends and their churches and their school and security, and they're going to a place that uh, they're moving away from all their friends. And... Sometimes people move away and they're not even sure exactly where they're going or what they're going to do. When I was, from the time I was about five till I was about nine, we moved three different times. My dad it was, was working for BF Goodrich and they moved us around. And I can remember every time Daddy would say, "Okay, we're moving from Shreveport to Monroe." I didn't want to lose Shreveport. I was five or six and I had friends and I didn't want to leave. And then you get to Monroe and then all of a sudden we're going to move to Vicksburg and I didn't want to move, you know, Vicksburg, and then uh, then we moved to Meridian. I didn't want to move to Meridian because you think I'm leaving all my friends, but I just had to trust my dad that whatever we're supposed to do, we're supposed to do. Well, moving's hard. And this evening we're going to see Abram, or as we call him as Abraham. He's going to leave the Ur of the Chaldeans. He's going to go to a land that God says, I will show you. He didn't even tell you. He doesn't even much about it. He says, I'm going to take you to a land I'll show you. Irving Jensen in his commentary says, he was called away from his family. He was called away from his friends, his land and security, to an unknown land, to a long journey and uncertainty. So this evening we're seeing what's called God's call and, uh, of Abraham and God's covenant. And we'll see how that fits together. As we begin, let me remind you of the division of the book of Genesis. Genesis is divided into two big parts. Chapters 1 through 11 give us four key events. The creation, the fall, the flood, and the division. And we've seen this. We've seen the creation of, of, of course, Adam and Eve. And then we saw the fall. And then after the fall, we saw the flood come in there and all of those things with Noah on the ark and all those chapters. And then the division. And that's within the last two or three weeks, we've seen how God divided the people. Beginning in chapter 12 through the rest of this book, there are four key people stand out. And it begins with Abraham. Abraham, we call him Abraham because everybody knows him by Abraham. He's listed as Abram in this section. But it's Abraham, and that's the great man, the first Jewish person, and, and the whole idea. And then Abraham to his son Isaac, and Isaac to his son Jacob, and Jacob to his 12 sons. But the one that stands out in this book 
is Joseph. And so the book of Genesis is the four key events and the four key people. And so over the weeks, uh, as we continue to study through Genesis, we're going to see these four people, Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, and Joseph. As we move into chapter 12, there's some great things there. Let me divide our study tonight so you can see how we're going to do it. We're going to go back to verse 27 through 30 of chapter 11, get a little bit on Abraham's background, see how that ties together. Then we'll go one, two, chapters, uh, verses 1 through 3 where we see the covenant, and then we'll see Abraham's obedience. It's, it's always there. And that's one of the things we need to learn is that when God told Abraham to leave, he left. And, and we'll see some other things. There's some things that tie in. In fact, and we'll get to it in just a minute, but what we're going to see in Genesis is a little bit different than what we're going to see in the book of Acts because we've got to go to the book of Acts to see something as well. Well, let's get a little background. Let's go back to chapter 11, look at verse 27, and we see uh, sort of the lineage and the background of Abraham. Now, there's a man that says, uh, these are the generations uh, are the record of the generations of Terah. Terah became the father of, and notice, look, his sons are Abram, that's the same as Abraham, Nahor, and Haran. And Haran became the father of Lot. So he tells us there was a man named Terah who had three sons, Abraham, Nahor, and Haran. And he goes ahead and tells us that Haran had a son named Lot, which is going to be Abraham's nephew. Now, it just goes on to say, and that's, of course, that's the first little background. Um, let me do this, just, just for a second. I want, can you put the one up about, uh, show the, the bigger map first, okay? There, there, there's where they are. At, no, the other one. Yeah. If you notice in the corner down there, there's Ur, and that's where they're living. And, and this is the, the Mesopotamia. This is where modern-day Iran, Iraq is. This was the Fertile Crescent. We see Assyria, Babylonia, Mesopotamia, that kind of thing. There's a place called Sumer, which is where Ur, the Ur of the Chaldees. And if you notice under Ur, there's a little thing that says Garden of Eden. There's a question mark because most people believe that's about where the Garden of Eden was. Okay, this is where they're living. In fact, when it says there was this man named Terah and he had Abram and Nahor and Haran and Lot and all of this, it says Haran died in the presence of his father Terah in the land of his birth in Ur of the Chaldeans. This is called the Chaldean region of the world. And so this is where they are. Can you show the, the bigger map for just a second? The other one. There. If you see in the big map, that's uh, you see over there is Egypt. The Sinai Peninsula, Israel, and then you start coming up and you see how far away it is from the land of Canaan, which is on the left side, and the Ur of the Chaldees where they are on the right side, where you see Elam and Sumer and Babylonia and all that. That's where they are. So this is where it starts. We'll come back to the map in just a minute. But it says this, that uh, uh, Haran died in the presence of his father Terah in the land of his birth in the Ur of the Chaldeans. So that's what happened. One of these three sons died. Now, watch what happens. And Abram and Nahor took wives for themselves. The name of Abram's wife was Sarai. The name of Nahor's wife was Milcah, the daughter of Haran, the father of Milcah and Ishkah. Now, here we find that Abram, and remember we talked about these names last week. The name Abram means high father, or we'd say big daddy. That's what it means. He's Big Daddy, and here he is, this man, and his name is Big Daddy or High Father. He has no children. You would think if your name was Big Daddy, you would have a lot of children, but he had none. His wife's name is Sarai, which we talked about last week, means Nagger. That's what the name means. And so this is Big Daddy is married to Nagger. They have no children. Maybe why they, they didn't have children, because she nagged. Maybe that's what the problem was. We don't know. But anyway, so Abram is, is married to Sarai. Now, I want you to notice verse 30, Sarai was barren, she had no children. And in that day and time, that's not a positive thing. 
That's a negative thing. In fact, most people would say, something must be wrong. You must not be living the way you should because God has not blessed you with a child. That's what they would say. Now notice this. Terah, verse 30, 31. Terah took Abram his son and Lot the son of Haran, his grandson, and Sarai his daughter-in-law, his son Abram's wife, and they went out together from Ur of the Chaldeans in order to enter the land of Canaan. And they went as far as Haran and settled there. Now, if we go back, if you notice on the map, uh, they left the Ur of the Chaldees, and they go. They can't go straight across because it's desert. So they have to go up by the river. Could you get the one that's, that just has Ur, the, the little one? Yeah, they're starting down there with the Garden of Eden, is, and they're going to go up the river, basically go by the river, go, go show the, the middle-sized map. They're going to leave and they're going to go and they'll go all the way to Haran. If you see, that's, that's right at the top of where it says Mesopotamia. They're going to that place and they stop there for a while. And then their plan, of course, is to come down and go to where you'll see Jericho, Bethlehem, Gaza. That's Israel. That's where they're going. That's the place they're supposed to go. That's the land of Canaan. It is a long journey. Now, what we read in this passage, it says this. Terah took Abraham his son, and Lot the son of Haran, his grandson, and Sarai his daughter-in-law, his son Abraham's wife, and they went out together from Ur of the Chaldeans in order to enter the land of Canaan, and they went as far as Haran and settled there. And we say, no, wait a minute, wait a minute, I thought the plan, I thought the plan was they were to leave the Ur of the Chaldees and go over to the land of Canaan, if you show the big map again. Notice how far they've got to go. They've got to go from Sumer Ur all the way to Canaan, but they stop up at the top. And notice it doesn't say they just stopped there. It says they settled there. And so we say, what is going on? I, I thought they were going all the way. Why would they settle there? What's happened? Notice verse 32. The days of Terah were 205 years, and Terah died in Haran. So you had Abraham's daddy and Abraham and his wife, and their nephew, and they left and they went to Haran, and while they were there, Abraham's or Abram's daddy died. They're going to leave after that and go. It would appear that as you study Genesis, if you study this, you think, okay, it was Terah's idea. It was his plan to leave the Ur of the Chaldees to go over to the land of Canaan. That's almost what it looks like because it says, Terah took Abram his son and Lot, and they were going. But I want you to find out that that's not exactly accurate. I want you to turn to the book of Acts. Turn over to the book of Acts. Acts chapter 7. So you go all the way to the New Testament, and you go to the book of Acts, and you get to Acts chapter 7. And we're going to see a man named Stephen. I don't know if you know this, but Stephen had been, uh, he was a, a, a believer. He had trusted in Jesus Christ, and he was standing for Christ, and he was teaching things about Christ. And some people got real mad at him. Some of the Jews got mad at him, and they, they grabbed him, and they, they uh, brought, him and brought him before some of the, the leaders. And he stood in front of the leaders, and he gave a brief history of Israel. If you said, you know, I would like to know about the nation of Israel and the history, but I don't want to read the whole Old Testament to get it. Just read Acts chapter 7, because in Acts chapter 7, there is a brief put together of the Old Testament history. Notice, he starts in chapter 7, verse 2, and he's going to give the background of Israel, starting with Abraham. And look what he says. 
And he said, Hear me, brothers and fathers. This is Stephen speaking. The God of glory appeared to our father Abraham when he was in Mesopotamia before he lived where? In Haran. Now, God appeared to Abraham while he's in the Ur of the Chaldeans before they ever moved to Haran. Listen to me say it again. God appeared to Abraham, not Terah, but to Abraham before they ever went up there. And look what he said to him. He said this. And he said to him, verse 3, I want you to leave your country and your relatives and come to a land that I will show you. Then he left the land of the Chaldeans and settled in Haran. Who got the message that they were to leave the Ur of the Chaldees and go to the land of Canaan? Was it Terah or was it Abraham? It was Abraham. Now, when you read Genesis, all it says is Terah and his son and his daughter-in-law and his nephew or his grandson took off. But if you understand the scripture, it was God who came to Abraham or Abram and said, I want you to leave here and I want you to go to the land of Canaan. Now, notice what he says in verse 3. Leave your country and your relatives and come into a land that I will show you. Who did Abraham take with him when he left the earth of the Chaldees? He took his daddy. Now, to take his nephew may not be bad because what happened to his brother? His brother. He died. And so he may said, I'm kind of adopting my, you know, my, my brother's son. And so he's going to start living with me because Lot lives with Abram from that point on. What Abraham was supposed to do was to leave and go all the way. And he wasn't supposed to take his family, meaning his daddy and his brothers. I think it was okay to take Lot because Lot was like his son. And what had to happen there? He said he left the land, verse 4, he left the land of the Chaldeans and settled in Iran. From there, after his father died, God had him move to this country in which you're now living. That's Stephen speaking. So what happened is this, and go back to Genesis chapter, basically at the end of chapter 11, and we're going to see that they were living in the earth of the Chaldees. God came to Abraham, told him to leave, take his family, not leave his relatives, and go to the land of Canaan. And he really didn't obey God. He and his father left. And they went to Haran, and they settled there, which means they got as far as Haran, and they decided to stay there. And then when his father died, suddenly it's now to the position where he can leave. And so he decides to leave, and he's going to come down to the land of Canaan. Now, I want you to know that I didn't read it in Genesis, in uh, the book of Acts, but in chapter 5 it said, He had no child, and being old, he came to the land, and God said, I promise you and your offspring. Did he have any offspring? No. And see, what's so amazing, he didn't have any offspring, and God's making promises to him. Okay, let's look again at the very end of chapter 11. It says, in the days of Terah were 205 years, and Terah died in Haran. Now it's time that he can go. And as we begin chapter 12, we see one of the major divisions in the Bible. And if you remember, I told you that chapters 1 through 11 deal with all the people in the world, beginning in Adam and Eve, all the way up to Noah, and all the way up to the spreading out. But suddenly in chapter 12, God is going to choose one man. One man out of all the people in the world, and this man's name is Abram. Now, let me tell you this. The truth is when they were living in the Ur of the Chaldees, where Ur is, they they worshipped a moon god and a moon goddess. 
that that was a pagan part of the world, but God chose a man out of there by the name of Abram. And we're going to see that God's going to make a covenant with Abraham. And we're going to see how he deals with this one man and his one people. And so we're going to see God's promise, God's covenant with Abraham. He set apart a man that we call him Abraham. I'll call him Abraham most of the time because everybody knows him Abraham. In this little section, he's called Abram, Big Daddy. Abraham means father of many nations. That's why God's going to change his name. And we'll see it in just a little bit. So he sets apart a man, that's Abraham, but he also sets apart a people, a nation, the offspring, the Jews. Now let me just talk for just a minute about the Jewish people. When God chose the nation of Israel, chose Abraham and through Isaac and through Jacob and Joseph and Judah and all these people, he didn't choose them for salvation. You have to understand, he chose a people group that he would use them. Salvation is always the same in the Scripture. It is always simply by faith in the Messiah. In the Old Testament, they believed in the coming Messiah. We believe in the Messiah who's came, or who has come. And so here's what you realize is when he chose Israel, he didn't choose them for salvation. He chose them as his people to do his ministry. And each person must believe. If you remember in Genesis chapter 15, verse 6, it says, Abraham believed God. And it was counted to him for righteousness. So it's, it's the idea of always faith. So he set apart a man and he set apart a nation. The whole rest of the Bible is going to deal with these people. Everything deals with these people. And today, I mean, think about the nation of Israel. They're little bitty. Do the map again. Do the biggest map we got, if you can. Where is Israel on this thing? I mean, look how big Egypt is compared. Look at the Sinai. Israel is just that little part when you start looking at it. And we think about the the nation of Israel. And we start thinking about the world. And we see all these countries. And yet everything goes back to Israel. Because they're God's people. Everything goes back to them. You realize that at the time of Jesus Christ, the nation of Israel, and we've talked about this so many times, the nation of Israel was, was in bondage to the Romans. And when their rejection of Jesus Christ came, God scattered them all over the face of the earth. And for the longest time, people thought that that God was through with Israel and they were scattered out and there was no nation of Israel. And there were even people who said, there's no nation of Israel, God is through with his people. But in the book of Romans, he said, no, I'm never going to be through with my people. I chose them, I'm going to always use them. And then what happened in 1948? They became a nation again. After almost 2,000 years, there is now a nation of Israel. There's always going to be those people. They're God's people. Well, as we begin, there's going to be a covenant here. Now, I want you to understand something. Go ahead to the next slide. There There are two kinds of covenants that you're going to find in the Scripture. There's an unconditional covenant in which there are no conditions. This is where God says, I will do this. There are conditional covenants in which there are conditions, which both parties are responsible. An unconditional covenant is where God says, I will do this. Nothing has to happen. A conditional covenant says, I will do this. God will say or somebody will say, I'll do this if you do this. The nation of Israel, God made a conditional covenant with the nation of Israel, and that was the Mosaic Law. If they obeyed, there was blessing. If they disobeyed, there was cursing. God would do this if, and back and forth. Now, the the, the unconditional covenant, there are nothing that the people have to do. God says, I will do this. The covenant we see in this passage is an unconditional covenant. God makes the promise. Abraham doesn't have to do anything. There's no conditions for Abraham. God will do it all. Listen to this as I read this. 
God said, and the Lord said to Abraham, Go forth from your country, from your relatives, from your father's house to a land. I will show you. I will make you. I will bless you. I will bless you. I will curse in you. I will. It's over and over and over. God is saying, I will do this. I will do this. I will do this. It's not what Abraham does. It's what God is going to do. That's why it's called an unconditional covenant. We realize that in Genesis chapter 12, we have the announcement of a covenant that God tells what he's going to do. Now, God did not sign the covenant until chapter 15. I want you to understand that. God made a covenant with Abraham and said, this is what I'm going to do, but he didn't sign the covenant until chapter 15. Now, in that day and time, how did you sign a covenant? You didn't pull out a piece of paper, especially if you got a covenant from God. Is God going to come down and say, can anybody get some paper? Anybody some paper? I got to write something down. That's not how he did it. Because they didn't write very well there, right? It wasn't until Moses that they had any written revelation. So they're not writing anything. So how are they going to cut a covenant? In that day and time, if, you, if, if uh, Freddie and I were going to make an agreement... And I said, okay, Freddie, I'll do this if you'll do this. And Freddie says, okay, I'll do this if you'll do this. So what we would do is we would go get an animal. And we'd cut the animal in two. I'd make Freddie do it. He'd cut the animal in two. And you'd take two halves of that animal. And it's all bloody and all this. And then Freddie and I would lock arms and we would walk in between the animal. Signifying that we're, because to cut, to ratify a covenant, to cut a covenant. And so we're walking in between it, and what we're saying is this. If either one of us goes back on what we say, we might get cut up. Okay? That's the deal. Now when God made the covenant with Abram, we're gonna see it in a few weeks in chapter 15, that he told Abraham, he said, go sit over there. And he said, okay. And he told him to sit down by a tree. And he told him to go get some animals, and he cut some animals apart. Had them all lined up. What would you assume is going to happen? Well, we got to walk through this thing. But remember, it's not a condition. It's not a conditional covenant. It's a what? Unconditional. So he said, Abraham, you sit down. Abraham went, okay. And then Abraham fell asleep, and then he woke up. And when he woke up, he saw this fiery thing coming down, and the fiery thing went in between the animals. It was God signing the covenant. God does it all. And Abram knew that. He knew it. And this is the unconditional covenant that God made with the nation of Israel. Now, as we look at this covenant, there are three aspects of it. First of all, it's to a man. It's to the man named Abram. It says, I'm going to bless you. I'm going to have you a great name. You're going to be a great person. You're going to be blessed. I'm giving you unchanging promises. That's what he said to this man. Now, I think about this. Out of all the people in the world, here's this man named Abram. And God says, I'm going to make you great. I'm going to give you a great name. And he does have a great name. We can go almost anywhere in the world and say the name Abraham. And people say, oh, you mean the Abraham. Abraham, yes. Do Christians know Abraham? Do the Jewish people know Abraham? Islam know Abraham? Almost any part of the world you go and you say Abraham. And they say, you mean the Abraham back a long time ago? Yes. People know his name is great. He's famous. He's got a blessing. He's a great person. What makes him so special? Well, I want you to think about this. He was a man of faith. He believed God. He's the father of all who believe. That's the way the Bible describes it. Because Abraham believed God. Then in the sense, any one of us who believe God were called children of Abraham. That's from the book of Galatians. Paul says that. He is also the pattern of justification because he believed God. It was counted to him for righteousness. And any human being who believes God is counted to us for righteousness. When we trust in Jesus Christ as Savior, we're declared righteous. The third thing is the promises to Abram affect the whole rest of the Bible. 
That's why he's such a special person. So it deals with a man. The second thing it does, it deals with a people. A nation. Jewish people. He's going to give them a land. They're going to be a great nation. Listen, they're, they're, they are the great nation. And when we talk about America's the great nation, listen, when it's all said and done, we're not even listed. You understand? We're not even listed. They're the great nation. They're the ones that God, cho- that God has chosen. A nation based on God's plan. But there's a third part to this, and that's to all people. It's universal. It's to a man, Abram. It's to a people, the Jews. But it's to all people, which is universal to all people, because all the nations of the world will be blessed. So there's three areas. To Abraham, who's a man. To Israel, who's a nation. And to all mankind. Now, I want to tell you there are three parts to this covenant that God makes with Abraham. Okay? The first part is this. There's a land. He promises them a land. I want you to look again at verse 1 of chapter 12. The Lord said to Abram, Go forth from your country and from your relatives and from your father's house to the land which I will what? Show you. He didn't say I'll give it to you right there. He said I'm going to show you a land. But look at verse 7. The Lord appeared to Abram and said, To your descendants I will what? Give this land. How many descendants did Abraham have? None right there. Not a single one. Not a single one. But he said, to your descendants, I'm going to give this land. So the very first aspect is God actually gives the land to him. If you go to chapter 15, he shows you the dimensions of the land. Now I want to show you one other thing. Could you go back to the big map again? The dimensions of the land of Israel, which we know today, it's the little bitty part right over there where it says, and I can't read it because my eyes are too bad. And, okay, see where it says Jericho and Ammon and Gaza and all that? that as, Israel doesn't even have all of that, but that's Israel today. Go back to the big part. The Bible actually says that their land will stretch from the river in Egypt, that's the Nile, to the Tigris-Euphrates River, that's over there. That whole section is the land of Israel that he has promised to them. They have never possessed the whole thing, but they will. They will when the Messiah, Jesus Christ, comes to the earth as the king. So when you see people arguing over what's Israel's land, one day they will have all of that. That was promised to Abraham. And God has never gone back on a promise yet. Never. You can just count on it. It's going to happen. One day, when you're on this earth... Because you know Jesus Christ is Savior, and you're in the kingdom, and Jesus Christ is sitting on the throne in Jerusalem. The land of Israel will stretch from the river of the Egypt, the Nile, all the way to the Tigris-Euphrates River. That's his land. That's what he's promised them. Wow. So there's the land. The second part of this thing is the seed. Through him will come a great nation and a great people. And, and when you start thinking about it, there's going to be people coming through him. Look at verse 2. I will make a great nation, and I will bless you, and I'll make your name great, and you'll be a blessing. He's going to make a great nation from him. That's a seed. Now, how does he deal with this? Because he could say, wait a minute, you're telling me I'm going to have a great nation, right? How many, uh, how many kids do I have? None. And how old am I? I'm 75 years old when he leaves. And by 75 in real life, he was, he was past the time. And his wife is 10 years younger. She's 65. Sarai. So he's beginning to say, I don't think this is going to work exactly like God thinks it is. 
And so how could he have a descendant? Well, some say he could adopt. He's got his nephew Lot. Lot could be the heir through which the promises come. Or he had a servant by the name of Eleazar. And we're going to find later on when God comes to him and says, I'm going to give you great blessing to your descendants. And he says, is it going to come through Eleazar? I don't have any descendants. Or could he have a son by another woman? He could. Well, we're going to find that Abram, as great as he is, doesn't always do right, just like all of us. In fact, just just read on chapter 12 and chapter 13. Just go ahead and read sometime and see what he does after he gets to the land. He lies. He goes to Egypt and actually has to be removed. They tell him, please leave, liar. Okay. The man of God called a liar by pagans? Well, it comes, the plan is going to come in Genesis 17 through a man named Isaac, and then Isaac's going to send it through his son Jacob, and then they have the 12 sons, and it's actually going to come through Judah, and then ultimately it keeps going, and ultimately the seed is going to be Jesus Christ. That's what Paul tells us in the book of Galatians. He promises them a land, he promises them a seed, and then there's the third part, and there's a blessing. All families will be blessed. Look at verse 3. I will bless those that bless you. I'll curse those who curse you. And in you all the families of the earth will be blessed. The blessing is the provision of the Savior. The blessing is the Messiah is going to come through the nation of Israel from Abraham to Isaac and Isaac to Jacob and Jacob to Judah and Judah to David and all the way up until we have Jesus Christ and He is the one through all the nations of the world will be blessed because He's the Messiah. And God made a covenant, a promise. In Jeremiah 31, I think that's the next slide, Jeremiah 31 is a new covenant in which God talks about the covenant, the blood of the new covenant. Of course, that's Jesus Christ dying on the cross and paying for sin. In the book of Galatians, and I just don't, just because of time, I don't want to go into the detail, but in the book of Galatians, it tells us that God told Abram that because of his faith, one day this Messiah would come and even the Gentiles would believe in the same way that he believed and they would have eternal life. And in fact, verse 14 of Galatians 3 says, In Jesus Christ the blessings of Abraham comes to the nations because they believe in the same way that Abraham was a believer. We're believers. That's why Paul calls us children of Abraham. So it's an unconditional covenant which he gives a land. The nation gets the land forever. So when you see people arguing over the land, and what are they doing now? They're trying to decide what to give back. And people say they need to move back, and they need to give back the Golan Heights, and they need to give back the West Bank, and this Gaza Strip doesn't belong to them either. And, and you really, Jerusalem doesn't belong to them. And let me tell you what, every bit of it belongs to them. I did a study about oh, seven or eight years ago on Wednesday nights, and we looked at the nation of Israel, and we started... Uh, in the late 1800s, when Theodore Herzl and Zionism, and they wanted Israel to have a land, and we took it up through World War One, and then we took it up to World War Two, and we took them coming back, and we went through all the wars, the War of Independence in 48, and then we took them through the, the battle in Gaza, and and uh, and the the uh, when they fought Egypt, and then we took them through the 67 war and the 73 Yom Kippur war, and we take them all the way up to the Infatata, the very first one. Now they're in the second Infatata, which just means uprising. That's what that is. We, I took, them all, I took us all the way up, and what we keep seeing over and over again, that it's Israel's land. It doesn't matter who's fighting over it. It's actually their land, and they keep taking it back. They keep taking it back. It's powerful. The land 
the seed, which would be the great nation, Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, Judah, and ultimately Christ, and the blessing, the Messiah would bring salvation to all. He establishes a covenant with this man and this and his descendants, which will be the Jewish people. From this point on, God no longer deals with mankind as a whole, but he deals with his chosen people. Now, I want you to understand that these special people, two great things come through these special people. You know what they are? Number one, the Word of God. Romans chapter 3 talks about that they've been entrusted with the oracles of God. The Bible was given to us through the Jewish people. This is a Jewish book. I know people who are Christians say, I hate Jews. I go, really? What about this book? You like the book? It's a Jewish book. What about your Savior? You hate Jews? What about Jesus? He's Jewish. Do you know, I know some people that don't even understand that Jesus is Jewish. It's amazing. So the Word of God came through the Jewish people. Guess who else came through the Jewish people? The Messiah, the Savior of the world. I told you that I used to talk to that Jewish family when I was coaching at Mississippi State. I uh, met that guy named Abishai ben Parai, and he was from Israel, and his wife, and they came over, and they were going to school, and I got to talk to him, and they invited me to go over to their house and everything. And, and uh, you know, it's, they, at first they said, um, why do you like Jewish people? And I said, because my Savior's Jewish. And we talked a lot of times. He was never open. She was open. She was open all the time. He was never open. He would take a newspaper. When we'd talk, he'd cover it up like this. He would not even look at me. He would look like this, and then he would do this. He was listening, but he was acting like he wasn't listening. It was powerful. Look what it says. Genesis 12, verse 1. Now the Lord said to Abram, Go forth from your country, from your relatives, from your father's house to a land I'll show you, and I'm going to make you this great nation. I'm going to give you this land. I'm going to make you a great nation. I'm going to bless you. Your name is going to be great. I'm going to bless those that bless you. I'm going to curse those that curse you. And guess what? In you, Abraham, all the nations of the world will be blessed. How could all the nations of the world be blessed through Abraham? Because the Messiah is coming through Abraham. And the Messiah blesses everyone because he's the Savior of the world. So I want you to see verse 4. So Abram went forth as the Lord had spoken to him. And Lot went with him. Now Abram was 75 years old when he departed from Haran. 75 years old. No kids. And God says, guess what? You're going to have a lot of kids. Oh, yeah. Yeah. I have this little thing that somebody sent me, and it's, it's supposedly Sarah, and she's packing. Sarah, packing. Her neighbor comes to her and says, what are you doing? She says, I'm packing. Why are you packing? Well, we're moving. Why are you moving? Well, Abraham's been transferred. Well, where are you all going? Well, I don't know. I can't answer that. Are you happy about going? I don't know. Is Abraham happy? Well, he, I think he is. Why? Well, he thinks it's a good place to raise children. You don't have any children, I know, but we're going. Are you going to have children? Well, that's the funniest thing I've ever heard in my life. And she said, yeah, well, the first time I heard it too, I laughed. So you never know. God would take a man 100 years old and a woman 90 years old and give them the special son. That's Isaac, and that's why it's called laughter. That's what his name means. Let me give you some applications, and then we'll have our very special service. But... Uh, what we've seen, of course, is the background of Abraham and God's call to leave the Ur of the Chaldees and go to the land of promise, the land of Canaan. 
and we've seen the unconditional covenant of the land, the seed, and the blessing. Realize first that when God makes a promise, He keeps it. He does it always. The covenant was unconditional. Whatever God promised, He did. And in this promise, there was the land, the seed, and the blessing. The land is the land of Israel. The seed, of course, is the nation, and then ultimately the Messiah. And the blessing is that in Jesus Christ, in the Messiah, is salvation for all people. All, anyone who's ever lived can have eternal life simply by faith in the Messiah. Do you believe the promises of God? Because this is what it was. And Abram did. He left and believed the promises of God. Do you believe that? Let me tell you, what has God promised you? What has he promised you? He has promised you salvation simply by faith. You know, this morning, I I thought to myself while I'm teaching that passage, if somebody here doesn't understand salvation is simply by faith, they sure aren't listening, right? Because that's what we see. It's finished, and it's faith alone in Christ alone. A promise that God has said, if you will believe in Jesus Christ as your Savior, I will save you forever. That's the promise. And he gives us eternal life the moment we believe. The second thing, and that is eternal life, and that's what eternal life is. The moment you believe. Now, see, I have people say stuff like, well, you can believe in Jesus, but you can lose your salvation. I said, what do you get the moment you believe? What do you get? Eternal life. How long does it last? Forever. It cannot end. If it could end, it'd have to be, I'll give you life till you sin, life till you quit believing, life till something else. But he gives us eternal life. What a great promise. You know what else he promised? He promised a new home and a new body. We all, most of us need the new body. We all need the new home, too. He's going to give us a home in heaven. He's going to give us a body that will never decay. Uh, we look forward to the blessed hope and the glorious appearing of our Savior. He also says, guess what? I'll never leave you or forsake you. Which should you ever fear? You can't. Rest in the promises of God. Some people know them, but they don't trust them. We must rest in the promises of God. When he makes a promise, he keeps it. Second application is this. Realize the blessing of salvation has come. Jesus Christ has come. He is the seed. He is the one to all the nations will be blessed. He had died on the cro- He's died on the cross, paid for sin, and rose again. And whoever believes in him has eternal life. It is that simple. He is the Savior. And we get to proclaim that message. And so the third thing that ties in with this is let's obey God's word. Because what did God say to Abram? Leave your land and go to another land that I'm going to show you and I'm going to give you. And you're going to have to trust me. And he obeyed God and he trusted him. And we need to obey God too. And that means with the word of God that he has given to us, the promises and the principles that pertain to us, that are for us, we need to obey those. And so do we trust him and do we live for him? I think one of the great verses is Romans 12 where he says, I beseech you, brethren, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies a living sacrifice. We come to God and say, God, I want my life to count for you. I'll go wherever you want me to do. I'll do whatever you want me to do. As a believer, we offer our lives in service. So may we rest in God's promises knowing that he always does what he says, that may we live by God's perfect word as we proclaim the message of salvation by faith alone in Christ alone. It's so beautiful. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, what a passage. Thank you for your great truths. And help us, Lord, as we think about Abraham and how just out of nowhere you picked this man and you promised him that he would be a great man and a great nation would come through him and a people would come through him and this he would have a land and there would be a seed come through him and there would be a blessing and the blessing would be the whole world. And Lord, we thank you that beginning in this part of the Bible, the whole rest of the, the Bible and everything else changes because everything now comes through this people group, the Jewish people. Lord, thank you for them. Lord, we realize that even though they are your chosen people, everyone, each one individually, in order to have eternal life, must believe in Jesus Christ as Savior. Lord, we know the same is true for all of us in this room. To have eternal life, each one of us must trust in Jesus Christ as Savior. Thank you that the Messiah has come and that salvation is by faith alone. May we obey the Word of God. May we live by the Scripture. And may our lives count for you. We ask all of this in Jesus' name.
Amen.